1: Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where the sun's out, but it's got that yellow tint because the air quality index is somewhere in the 90s, although it was over 100 earlier today. Um, We're still dealing with a little bit of smoke here in the Willamette Valley from all the fires uh, in the Pacific Northwest, uh might clear out maybe this weekend, who knows, uh, kind of getting tired of running, you know, the, the Bozenator fans with the air filters duct taped to them in the house constantly having that humming noise going in the background. But we got a lot to talk about here on the Bo's Nose Show today, and I'll just remind folks that we'll talk about what you want to talk about if you give us a call here at 646-721-9887, and just press 1 so we know you want to get on the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows that you want to get in and talk rather than just calling in to listen. So, it's been a crazy week and I feel like you know it's been several crazy weeks but we had guests the last couple weeks so I'm pent up with all sorts of things to talk about but I feel like I'm doing a repeat show because it feels like I'm doing another 2020 end of the world sort of show because we're going to talk about fire flooding and disease today on the Boz Nose show and and sort of not necessarily quite in that order. I think we're going to start talking flooding first, and fi- then fires, and then then disease. So, uh, you know, I, I I don't know who that fourth horseman is going to be in in, in 2020, but you know, I don't like tempting 2020 anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, and what I'm really worried about is 2021 is going to come in on on at midnight and go here 2020, hold my beer. Uh, so. You know, it made the news yesterday that we had kind of a contentious board meeting yesterday, and, and uh, you know, there, there was a little bit of tension, you know, on, in in the Zoom boardroom, so to speak. Uh, and in fact, uh, I even got called out personally by my chair uh, that you know that I was. That I, you know, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Uh, i think that was what she was trying to get to but uh (laughs) she she was upset that i actually responded to press requests to talk about our new floodplain ordinance and how it might impact folks ability to get permits or or ease of construction to uh, replace their houses from that got destroyed during the holiday farm fire and uh i did not you know, she wanted me to apologize because she thought I was playing on people's emotions. Uh, and I was not, I was responding to requests from people that were concerned when they kind of figured out that we might be doing something that could cause them problems. And they contacted Bill London at KPNW, and he called me and asked me to come in and do an interview. And uh, I did the interview, and I also kind of put some information out and ask people, maybe it might be a good idea to let the board know that we may might want to slow down and rethink the idea of passing new regulations that might make it more difficult for folks that want to rebuild, not necessarily prohibit them, but it, it, it could just cost more money or, or add a few extra steps for those folks. And in some cases in about four or five where folks are in, the floodway versus floodplain, it could have even prohibited them from rebuilding. But, um, you know, it's a technical subject when you start talking about floodplains and floodways, and sometimes the language and technicality gets lost. And I didn't do like some of the uh, uh, environmental groups do out there, like um, Oregon Wild, and put out a boilerplate to cut and paste copy and paste into an email to the commissioners. So a lot of folks were writing basically their own words and trying to um, take the technical discussions I had with Bill London and then with Rick Dancer and put them in their own words. And sometimes their own words were not correct. And for some reason, you know, that that translation and lack of understanding of the technical jargon um, made folks think that somehow or another i was putting misinformation out there and i would challenge anyone to go back and listen to those two interviews and and and, and point out where i put out poor information uh, because it was clear and i and i i walked staff through this in yesterday's meeting like a prosecutor walking at perp through yes, no questions that I already knew the answer to. One of the reasons why I got so concerned about this and went on the shows and and put the call out to people to to email the commissioners, was I knew the answers to these questions. I asked them, my first question was, does this ordinance that we're getting, because when we're gonna pass new code, we have to do it through an ordinance. Does this ordinance go beyond requirements requested by the state and fema to be compliant with their requests that came about uh, due to our community assistance uh, visitation Uh, because every once in a while fema comes out and and comes to areas that that um, have floodplain jurisdiction which in the state of oregon is the counties and review their their enforcement of those floodplain restrictions to see if they're in compliance with federal code. And there were some technical changes that needed to make us line up with federal code. And that's what that community assistance visitation was. And there's some model code the state wanted us to adopt. And my question was, is, did we go beyond that? to the question, yes. So just from the get-go, what was being proposed and came out of our September 1st board meeting and was approved was, you know, approved by a four-one vote. I voted against going here because I wanted to, to go back to a version that the planning commission approved, which was was uh, pretty uh, innocuous. It didn't have was mostly about the technical side. Um, that version that was, came before us yesterday was beyond the scope of what FEMA was requesting. It was more restrictive second question I asked was, does this ordinance add greater restrictions and additional requirements to reconstruction within the floodplain? plain? Answer to the question, yes. And I pointed out that that adds costs and complexity to the reconstruction of houses being replaced in the floodplain. My next question was, does this ordinance as published prior to any amendments, possibly prevent replacing a dwelling in the flood way. Now you notice I'm being very careful about saying flood plain clearly and floodway, because they're two different things and we're going to explain that here on the Bose Nose show in a minute. But my question was about the flood way then, and the answer to that question was yes. So we had an ordinance put in front of us that was more restrictive than what FEMA and the state wanted added greater restrictions and additional requirements for construction in the floodplain, which would have been applied to replacing houses in the floodplain if we passed this. And it could possibly even be a, a complete prohibition for reconstructing houses in the floodway. Now, one the things about the floodway is there's only about four or five houses that were destroyed that were actually in the floodway there's many more though in the floodplain. Um, you know, so it was, you know, clear at that point that what was advertised and put out in the public that we were going to be discussing was not going to be helpful folks rebuilding from the holiday farm fire. Yet I was called unprofessional for pointing that out. Now our board chair decided on her own, which is something that is, is a, a violation of board process. There's no law or anything. It's just been an agreement with the board for years and the way we govern ourselves is no one board member can direct county staff because we as a group of five have one employee that's county staff. That's the county administrator. He directs staff. And individually we can't really control the county administrator we have to do it with by you know three out of five of us have to agree to direct staff if it's going to involve more than 15 minutes of work chair buck went to the planning department and basically asked them to to draft up an exception to try and cure that flood floodway prohibition not the floodplain. plain requirements just the floodway prohibition portion of it Uh, mind you drafting technical language in land use law is not a simple thing to do so I know it's more than 15 minutes worth of work but she went individually and requested staff to do that and then on top of that she asked staff to email that out to the whole board and when you when you think about that that basically is writing, you know, writing law and then promulgating it to the board outside of a public meeting. You know, when you're working on land use stuff, the time you do that is in the meeting and you do it and and add it as a reading or something like that, you don't do it between meetings and share it to the more than a quorum of the board something about public meetings laws and quorums and sharing information that's going to be deliberated on or voted on later. Is that kind of like deliberating, you know, in private? You know, I'm unprofessional and unethical. Yet our board chair individually directed staff and then sent information to the full board, that that means a quorum, outside of a public meeting. So that's, that's the precursor to this. So I went on with my yes no questions. And I asked staff, because I got a copy, you know, I had that copy of, of the amendment that Chair Buck thought was going to fix the problem she had. Um, and I said, I asked if the phrase in her exception that there's no feasible or practical location for replacement development outside of the mapped regulatory floodway. You know, that was one of the conditions that would exempt a, a fire-destroyed house to be able to build in the floodway. Um, you had to meet that condition. Is that language easily appealed by a third party? And the answer from staff was yes, because it's subjective, feasible, or practical. Practical practicable that's a that's a mouthful but both of those terms aren't definable and it's pretty easy for a third party like Landwatch, lane county to throw an appeal up there that could delay that reconstruction of that house for up to two years if they take them all the way up through luba the land use board of appeals or even possibly in the circuit court. So um, even that somewhat, you know, dubious amendment that Chair Buck put together was flawed and would not fix what's the problem and did not do anything about the floodplain. It only dealt with the floodway prohibition. So I want to go back to this difference between floodway and floodplain. And those of you that are watching on Facebook Live will get to see this this slide, and we'll put them up after the show. Um, uh, I, I pulled a couple screen captures from a couple county um, mapping programs. And the first one is a picture of the rainbow area and the floodway and flood plain for the McKenzie River. And as you look at this map, you'll see some really dark blue that has the label AE over it, and that really dark blue labeled AE is floodway. That's where the actual channel of the river is, and when it's in flood stage, that's you know, where it flows at high velocity and um, is pretty dangerous. They refer to that as the floodway. And as I just said earlier, only about four or five of the destroyed houses are in the flood way, which was what Chair Buck thought she had fixed with her, with her um, dubious amendment. The rest of that, the whiter colors of blue, and then there's even a, a yellowish color that has an X over it. Those are flood plain, and you can see they cover a lot more wider area. And in the flood plain, the new code they're proposing, and is still this way with what was proposed, what was moved on by the board yesterday on a 3-2 vote, requires houses to be an extra foot higher than the the old code. And the old code met FEMA's requirements for elevation. And also has some other restrictions relative to cut and fill and and balancing in in the flood plain. So that costs money and sometimes may even be hard to achieve to elevate a house another foot higher. So all those areas that are light blue, and yellow, you have to build your house an extra foot higher than our current code if they pass this proposed language. Now, we're going to switch to another map here, and this map shows the damaged houses in that area. And, you know, one of the things you'll see is there's a bunch up at the actual Holiday Farm RV Park, which the fire was named for, but you're seeing a lot down there close to the river. Now, those houses, if we go back and forth, and I'm going to maybe ask – I don't know how easy it is for Robin to toggle back and forth a few times between the flood plain maps and the destroyed houses. But if you do that, you can see that those, there's a, a little side road there, Rainbow Drive. The houses on that road are all in the floodplain. There's five of them right there next to each other that were destroyed, all in the flood plain, just in that one little area. And as you, if you look further down, you know, if you're to, to follow all the way down the full extent of the fire, you're going to find a lot of houses in the flood plain, not the flood way. this is why i am so concerned about us changing the rules now and going beyond what fema and the state asked us to do because i want and have always been motivated since this thing started and started working right away with land use professionals and construction professionals about how we might be able to shortcut some of the permitting and and save folks time I just want folks to have the easiest, least costly path to reconstructing their homes and getting them back in there as quickly as possible. Adding an extra foot of elevation and cost to these folks that are going to have to reconstruct in flood plain is the wrong way to go. And I will continue to ask people to let the board know it's wrong. And I don't really care if the chair feels I'm being unprofessional, unethical, and my conduct is unbecoming of a commissioner, or however she she said that in, in the meeting. I'm looking out for the victims of the fire. In fact, I'm looking out for the entire county because This doesn't just apply on the Mackenzie River. This is going to apply on the Siuslaw River. It's going to apply on Lake Creek. It's going to apply, you know, on the Long Tom. It's going to apply on Flat Creek up in the up in Santa Clara area. Anyone that's in a floodplain and there's lots of floodplain in Lane County is going to have to elevate their house an extra foot if they have to rebuild it or if they're building a new house under this, this proposed code next reading of that is coming up on November 11th and it's going to be the fourth reading Uh, Commissioner Sorensen asked for some changes so we're gonna have to have a fifth reading too I think his motion was so convoluted I'm not sure I really followed what he's asking for I hope staff can digest what he asked for I challenge anyone to go back and listen to the meeting and try and figure out exactly what his motion was Um, and I can't believe that the chair um, accepted that as a, as a clear motion, but um, I'm unprofessional. And if you can't tell, maybe I am a little bit emotional about that. Maybe I am. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah, I, I guess I maybe am. You know, because, you know, here I am trying to make it as easy as possible. And I'm the one that's the bad guy because I actually was transparent, went out to the media, found a way to communicate with with the public and let them know the unintended consequences that were coming down from adopting a new floodplain code that has these additional restrictions in the floodplain. So I guess I guess you know if if, if that makes me unprofessional, unethical, and my conduct unbecoming, well you know what I own it. I'm all of those things for sticking up for the people there and trying to make it as easy as possible. I mean all the way back right after this fire got going, the first report we had on the fire from staff the following week. My first question was, how are we starting to set up to help people rebuild? Because the one thing I hear my most constituent complaints about nowadays, I mean, it used to be the neighbor's pot farm, but that's kind of got calmed down a bit. It's how long it takes to get permits and how much it costs to take to get a permit in Lane County to build something. My number one constituent complaint. And I'm thinking now we're going to have over four hundred people in that situation. What can we do to make sure that they're not part of those people complaining about how long, how much it costs? And I asked way back in the first week of the fire for us to start working on that, And I asked professionals in the in the land use arena, what are some of the hurdles these folks? might be undertaking, and what are some policy decisions the board can direct staff on that maybe might be able to shortcut that. And they prepared a list of issues based on zoning that I gave to staff way back on September 21st. And shortly after that, I asked them a little bit different question is, what do people that that had a house burned down out there need to do to preserve their rights to reconstruct? Before they start cleaning up their house site and I put that out through Facebook and in several other ways and it's you know pretty well been broadcast out there about what people need to do to document foundation locations. uh, Ash pile locations before they start dealing with some of the hazmat removal and everything else out there. It's a really good idea to do a lot of documentation of the location of your structure. Because There may not be good record in the county of exactly where that building was, and um, it's really in your best interest to document that carefully. And if people want to find that, they can scroll back down some of my posts on my Jay Bosovich Westland County Commissioner page, and they'll find those um, recommendations for folks to 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 take to make sure they're preserving their rights to rebuild. Because unfortunately, Oregon and Lane County's land use systems, the burden of proof is on the applicant, you know, which is sad, but that's the way it is. And and so you need to protect your own rights and document things, um, you know, relative to, you know, how, you know, what what was on your property before the fire. Um, because that'll help preserve the rights for reconstruction. And if, you know, folks have questions about that. They can also PM me on Facebook, and I will send you a copy of that that document I got from the land use professionals. But that has always, always been my intent on this. I asked for a work session, which is coming up on November fourth, or yeah, fourth, um, with the board. To uh, uh, talk with land management and the building people about these issues, about the, what, what, what folks are going to be facing, what we can do to try and fast track and expedite this, what policy direction the board needs to give staff to maybe help out, help, help expedite this. And on top of that, I also asked for a joint work session with EWEB and possibly the Mackenzie River Trust and a few other watershed protection agencies to talk about what we can do to find a source of loans and grants to help people that are reconstructing their homes to upgrade their sanitary sewer systems, their septic systems. In fact, the whole town of Blue River could use a brand new sewer system. And I got that scheduled now for November 4th. So everything I'm trying to do is in the best interest of those fire victims. And to be called out by the chair for somehow or another toying with them for political purposes was just not right. So I hope to continue that work I'm going to do everything I can. I'm also looking to see if we can tap into state economic development funds or something to offset permit fees for folks so that they're not paying thousands of dollars in Lane County permit fees because we have some of the highest fees in the state for building permits um, and try and have them put that actually into their homes instead of just a fee that they pay just to have the our, our permission to rebuild their home. So um, working hard for those folks, I'm doing everything I can. Yeah, you know, so that's that's what it comes, you know, where I'm coming from and what motivates me. And I'm sorry if somebody thinks that's unprofessional. Um, then I'll own being unprofessional. Ha, <sighs> so deep breath here. And we'll try and get to other things on the Bo's Nose Show, but I'm going to pause and remind folks it's a call-in show. So, if you have questions about this floodplain and floodway ordinance that we're getting ready to look at, or if you have some other question about, you know, reconstruction and all, I'll do my best to answer it or to take down information and get somebody that has that, that's, you know, more of a professional in that field get back to you. The number is 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the show. But, yeah, that's kind of the uh, fire and flooding side of 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 the show. Um, You know, I will note that our current floodplain ordinance meets the life safety requirements that FEMA has. You know, it's not like people are unsafe because our floodway and floodplain ordinances are too lax. So, uh, you know, floods are dangerous. People die in floods. I'm not diminishing that, that threat. But I also believe people are their own best judges of... Um, their their risk their personal risk you know whether they're willing to um, take on risk and whether they um, want to have that risk um, and accept that risk you know, most people that build in those situations uh, in floodplain or up against the floodway even understand they're living in that situation no different than everyone that owns a uh, piece of property down at, in, in some of the lower areas of, of the coast know they're in a um, a tsunami hazard zone and there's a chance that their their home could get wiped out by a tsunami so yeah, you know, i i believe people have the ability to assess their own tolerance to risk that we don't need as a government to, to, to be the nanny and, and, and take over that. So it looks like we got Sarah on the line. Uh, Sarah, you have a question or comment?
0: Hi, thank you so much for doing this. I just heard some of your messaging on the radio the other day, and I was so impressed on what you were talking about, about the, the need for environmental impact reform, but also to support the housing and the community after the wildfire. Um, my father was a cartographer, so I find myself really blessed in knowing about land use and waterways and and a little bit of the information that you know. As a millennial or as someone younger in the Generation Z, how do we get this information out in a palatable way to a younger audience that they can actually understand instead of holding the banner of environmentalism, which I support, but also learning that we need to really support the Lane County community, what can we do as the younger generation?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. I think part of it is getting information out there um, without attaching a lot of emotion to it. Um, And... One of the things that, that often people, you know, I part of my show today was trying to explain to people the difference between floodway and floodplain. And floodways are very, very hazardous because it's, you know, where the main channel and the high velocity flows are. Floodplain, quite often, the flooding caused by that low velocity, it's more about, you know, your carpets get ruined. You know, you might have to replace some sheetrock or something like that but it's not necessarily life safety type flooding you know if you're in the floodplain and you and in a hundred year storm you're going to have a foot of water in your house that's a big inconvenience and a big cost but it's not necessarily life threatening and i think quite often people think floodplain is flood way and, and and the environmental activists use that lack of knowledge sometimes out there. And I think if we can educate people on those differences and the fact that floodplain, you know, can be utilized for housing and and at the same time be done in a way that is also beneficial uh, to the streams, you know, if we're being careful about, um, you know, how much pavement we put in there, you know, whether we're using pesticides, what we're storing in the floodplain, yeah, there are some there are some just you know what I consider um, you know common sense activities there, but yeah, trying to get people to understand that difference, floodway, floodplain. and that and that if you were to try and eliminate every high hazard piece of property, from development in Lane County, and some, you know, what they or any hazard, I should say. So we get rid of all the floodplain and floodway. We have to get rid of all the steep slopes that might be susceptible to um, landslide. Then any of the wildland uh, interface areas that might be susceptible to, to wildfire. You're getting down to basically no developable land, except for maybe the high quality ag soils in the in the Willamette Valley. So, you know, it's, it's where, where are people going to live? And we have to connect the balance of using floodplain and having homes versus our homeless crisis that we're dealing with right now. And the fact that folks are getting priced out of their homes and their rental properties, even despite, our, you know, they just announced today that the cap on rent increases for this year is going to be 9.25%. Which basically means everyone's rents going up 9.25% this coming year, after 9% last year. So, how much longer can that go on? And so, there's this balance we have to think about. People, there is some risk almost anywhere you live, and we. And I think that's what we have to try and get young people to understand. And it's not, you know, every. You know, if you try and prevent development everywhere, you end up with the problems we have now in Oregon, where we have so restricted development in Oregon that we're, we've got this housing crisis that's just killing people. And the younger crowd should understand that. How many of you, how many of your friends have to have multiple roommates to afford an apartment? How many can actually think about buying a house in this market? That's where we start tipping into that, the the generation x generation z folks um and and millennials you know talk about housing affordability then start talking about you know not being overly restrictive with floodplain regulations that may be part of it Uh, it's really cool your dad was a cartographer though
0: i was blessed he actually uh taught me gs GIS and ESRI um, at a very young age, so I did fire mapping for the Oregon Department of Forestry uh, during my high school years. I'm a bit of an odd child. My follow-up question to what you have to say is, if we want more talking points or to learn a little bit more, is there a way to reach out to your team or to your office? And if so, uh, what contact methods do we do to actually get activated to start being a voice and a light in the community? oh so first i have
1: to explain that lane county back when we lost our timber funding cut all the staff for the commissioners so i am my team i'm a team of one <laughs> so if you want to contact me you can do it through you know facebook with with uh the pm or or at my you know if you go on the lane county website and the commissioner's page you can find my commissioner's page and my my emails there Uh, cell phone numbers are actually on the page too. So, there's lots of ways to get a hold of me. Um, There are some organizations um, like the Home Builders Association of Lane County that can give you some pretty good information. Um, The Oregon Property Owners Association, I think they're located up out of um, somewhere in the Portland suburbs, um, uh, does private property rights defense and kind of understands some of this land use technical stuff a lot more than I do. Um, in fact, I cap into their uh, legal knowledge pretty often now and then I don't know all this stuff myself personally. And I know enough about Esri and, and ArcGIS to, to make a mess out of it. Um, <laughs> I don't think I could ever map myself. So that's pretty cool. You were doing that in high school. Um, I, yeah, I'm old enough that, when I came out of engineering school, we were still put, you know, doing punch cards into an IBM 360 to run floodway, um, stuff at on a Fortran program. So, uh, so I, I if you want to contact me that way, um, and I, I think, uh, the home builders are, you know, one of the organizations that's, uh, probably active and, uh, Ed McMahon's the local executive director for the home builders. I think they're easily, you know, if you, Home Builders Association of Lane County into and, and a Google search, you'll find their contact information pretty easily. Same thing with the Oregon Property Owners Association. If you throw them into a Google search, you should be able to find them and Dave Honeycutt, their executive director. Um, and that kind of gets you a couple advocacy groups uh, that can give you some pretty good information. Um, but you know some of it's just common sense about supply and demand and the basic laws of economics that if you continually restrain supply of housing, it causes the price to increase and and uh we're not you know the demand side doesn't stop you know we have a one percent growth rate in our population or annually, and it's just been that way for years and is continuing to do so so the pressure on housing will continue to grow. And if we keep artificially saying this 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 property can't develop because we don't like anything in a floodplain, this property can't develop because we don't want you to build a house in the, in, near the forest, this property can't develop because there's high quality ag lands, you end up with nothing being developed and no housing being built. and uh, You know you you can't build all the housing inside the city limits of eugene and springfield you know there there needs to be housing for folks down on the coast near florence there needs to be housing for folks up near mckenzie bridge Um, and you know we just have to start connecting the dots for people if you pass the regulation here it has an impact on the housing crisis and that balance between the two and what are you achieving with that additional regulation? Is the cost to the society equal to what you're attempting to achieve? And, and is there even good science behind what you're trying to do? I mean, there's pretty good science behind being one foot above the flood elevation, but what's the science between being two feet above the flood elevation? So... Sarah, I really appreciate the call. Is there anything, any other final comments or questions?
0: Just one last one, and thank you so much for opening up for for the questions. Just wonderful to speak with you and your knowledge. If someone of a young age um, is interested in civics and reform and getting their feet wet, doubling in local politics, and how to make a difference in their community outside of, you know, spreading the word on social media and, and doing those letter-to-editor the editor campaigns, how do they get involved in local politics to be someone like you one day?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And you know something? We have a bunch of different citizen advisory committees on all sorts of topics. So whatever you're kind of interested in, I bet there's a citizen advisory committee. We have an animal services advisory committee that, that you know, Advises us on our animal services side of things. We've got a planning commission. We've got a budget committee. We've got a mental health advisory committee. Yeah, so there's all sorts of places where you can plug into our system. And believe it or not, we have vacancies on those committees that go unfilled because people don't apply for them. So there is on the Lane County website a drop down up at the top says, "How do I?" And if you go to scroll down to volunteer, that'll take you to a page where you can actually find out about our citizen advisory committees and applying to be on one of those committees. Um, some of them are, are pretty competitive. You know, obviously, um, the planning commission, as important as it is, there, we get a fair amount of applications for that. Um, but some of them have openings that, that are still open right now. So that's a great place for a young person to plug in and learn. You don't have to know about mental health, you know, necessarily be on the mental health advisory committee. You just have to be interested in it because there are positions on that that are for lay citizens. You know, there are positions on a lot of these committees that are reserved for not people in the profession for just the point of trying to get a lay citizens input. And you learn so much on those committees. You know, so you know, and it's not just the county government that has those committees every all twelve of the incorporated cities in Lane county has those kind of committees There's committees that are that are formed through school districts that have that that have citizen advisory positions there's committees that are formed through the Lane Council of Governments that has citizen positions the The transportation advisory committee for you know the Lane County um, is got citizen positions on it and some of them go unfilled because we don't get applicants so you know if you know I, I, I highly recommend go on some of these you know city and county websites and look for those advisory committees and um, when they have open applications apply for it if you're a young person it's a great way to get started it's also a great resume builder for running for office later. You know, I, you know, I served on various committees um, before I ran for my first office um, with Lane Community College um, and that experience at Lane Community College developed my understanding of Oregon budget law, which serves me well as a Lane County Commissioner, um, because we both entities being public entities in Oregon had to adhere to Oregon's budget law so uh, all that is great background and I would encourage you to encourage your friends look for those those positions and a lot of them aren't very time consuming you know some of these committees meet once a month for a couple hours and now they meet by zoom most of them so you're not even having to leave your home so um, my strong suggestion is go is, is there the other thing you can do is you can look towards elected officials and ask them if they're taking on internships uh, I've done that now and then where I'll take in a, a uh, intern um, I use you know from I don't have a very big budget so it's usually a minimum wage job but uh, it's a good way to learn some about that um, you know state legislators do the same thing so there's a lot of places to, to try and get some experience in civics. And those advisory committees, you know, they, they run just like the Board of Commissioners. They have a chair, they, have, they take minutes,
0: you know, they have to
1: follow the Oregon Public Meetings Law. You know, all those things you start learning about just being on an advisory committee. So that's my recommendation, and I really love that question, Sarah.
0: Thank you so much. You've inspired me. I'll definitely reach out and look into. God bless you. Thank you for all you're doing, and that's all from me.
1: All right. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for calling.
0: See, that? that's all you have
1: to do on the Bo's Nose Show to uh, get in here and change the subject a little bit is dial 646-721-9887 like Sarah did, and uh, you, you know, become part of the show. And it, it's uh, an easy thing to do, and you can take the show in the direction you want to. Before we run out of time today, though, I, I have to get to the COVID issues and what's going on here in Lane County with our additional um, COVID cases recently, because I haven't really been able to cover that, because last week I had Scott on and talking about um, you know, other things. So it, it just kind of got waylaid, but... We had a discussion yesterday and last week about our growing COVID numbers. And a lot of it comes down to, I, I would call it COVID fatigue. People are, are, are just, it's been so long now that it's difficult for people to maintain that, that personal discipline to prevent the spread. In addition, now we've thrown in the mix of U of O students coming back into the community and some of their behaviors. And the combination of the two is driving case counts up in Lane County, and it's a real increase in case counts. I've had people challenge me and say, oh, you guys are testing more, that's why you have more cases. No, our testing numbers have not really changed since early August. We're testing the same number of people, but in the last couple of weeks, the number of cases has grown significantly to where we always used to be under the statewide average per hundred thousand new cases in a week we've been over it for the last two weeks now mind you we're still living in one of the safest states in the country fourth lowest case rate sixth lowest death rate including puerto rico and washington dc and we've been one of the very safest counties in this state, but we are now starting to go above the state averages. And the problem with that is, is if we get too far above and our case counts start exceeding our capacity to contact trace and connect these cases to sources, then we start increasing what we call random cases. And that increase in random cases could cause the governor to put us back into phase one. And I don't want that to happen because it's such a blunt instrument because the the closures originally didn't make a lot of sense who got closed. Why RV parks got closed when folks bring an RV to a park, have their own bathrooms and kitchens. I'll never know. But they did under phase one. So it's a blunt instrument we don't want to go back there so you need to take responsibility everybody out there you know and i know some people think this is a um conservative liberal republican democrat sort of issue and and i'll state right now most people put me on the conservative side i'd rather be described as a libertarian and i am registered as a republican I wear a mask in public because I understand masks are about preventing you from giving somebody else the disease, not about keeping me from getting the disease. You know, it's about me not giving you the disease. That's why I wear the mask. I don't want to be coughing on somebody's bananas in the grocery store. I don't want to be sneezing, you know. It, in in public, you know, suddenly come up on me and I'm sneezing in a public space. That's why I wear my mask. It it you know there are some people I will admit, you know, you know folks that you know possibly were victims of domestic violence, you know, even some veterans that had issues um, wearing some of their their chemical protective gear, um, and, and have trauma from that, yes, there are people that can't really wear a mask. And, and, uh, and those people, please have understanding with, we shouldn't become the mask Nazis either. Be concerned about your own behavior. Wear a mask if you can in public. Wash your hands. Try not to touch your face. Stay home if you're sick. You're hacking up a lung and running a fever. Don't go to the grocery store. You know, do those things you would normally do that are sensible. You know, try and avoid being indoors in close contact with people for 15 minutes or more without proper distance and mass. Because it, you know, we know that this spreads by fine particles expelled while you're breathing, coughing, sneezing, singing, shouting. Does it? Popping your peas. You know, if you're indoors a lot without a lot of air circulation for more than 15 minutes with a group of you know varying different people, you're adding to your bubble. The more people you bring in your bubble and They've got their own bubble of people they're dealing with, and every person in their bubble's got a bubble, et cetera, et cetera. You don't know every person you add to your 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 bubble that you've decided to bring in and not distance and wear a mask around and be exposed to indoors for more than 15 minutes is more risk to you. And more risk that you could possibly spread to somebody else. Um, so we, we just need to kind of get this sort of under control because we're, we're, we've been seeing exponential growth in cases where we're doubling week to week, and we just have to get that under control. And that will keep us in phase two and, you know, at least keep us in some level of economic activity. And um, mostly what I'm concerned about is keeping vulnerable people safe. I mean, we've pretty well demonstrated. We've got some pretty good treatments for this, but, you know, the president of the United States goes to Walter Reed for three or four days with all that intense treatment. He's not getting a bill for it. You end up in Peace Health or McKenzie Willamette for three or four days to get, you know, intense treatment. Your insurance company is going to get a pretty hefty bill and your 20% copay and deductible is going to be pretty sizable. So, it's also about maybe just avoiding some costs and, and and staying a little bit safe. And we still don't know all the long-term um, impacts to lung tissues, et cetera, from this disease. Just stay safe. You know, that, that that's my message. And and I'm telling you this as a Republican, as as a, you know, somebody that gets identified as a conservative. I wear my mask. I wash my hands. I'm not going to a lot of extra gatherings right now. I'm avoiding gatherings, in fact, at this point, because I want to see us get this under control. So I'm going to take some personal responsibility, pull back a little bit, and hope that Lane County's numbers drop and that we won't have to have the governor come down on us and throw us back to phase one. But that's going to take personal responsibility from each and every one of us. And maybe having to deal with the uncomfortable thing of putting that mask on. And, you know, having a little bit of trouble hearing people sometimes because they don't speak out through the mask very well. Minor inconvenience to going back to phase one is going to be a major inconvenience. You know, don't want to see us having runs on toilet paper again. Uh, (laughs) So that's, that's my COVID message. We didn't, we didn't go back to phase one. In fact, the board pretty soundly, you know, said, no, that's not where we want to go. We want to try and continue what I just did. Passing on that message of personal responsibility. I mean, that's that's the true conservative in me. This is about everybody using their common sense, taking personal responsibility, and trying not to spread this disease. And I don't care if you think it's just you know not much of you know only as bad as a, a bad flu or something like that. Bad flus still kill people especially if they're elderly or immune-compromised. And frankly, COVID-19 is far worse than the flu when it comes to mortality rate. I can give you the numbers if you want them. We are seeing mortality rates far higher than the flu. So take it seriously. It's been a message from your commissioner. So did you want to jump in, Robin? Was that why you're, you're interrupting me?
0: <laughs> no,
1: I just had to throw in the uh, the more you know theme, you know. Yeah, yeah. The more you know. Yeah. And one of the things about being a commissioner and being on the board of health is I see a lot of the raw data. And I see a lot of the data, period. And I also understand, And you know, Dr. Lugke was on the, the wake-up call this morning with Bill London. He talked about what they do to prevent reporting duplicate cases and how sometimes the numbers shift around because they realize that a case that was originally identified at Peace Health was of somebody that lived in Lebanon and should be a Accounted in Lynn County, not Lane County, and they're and they're very careful about that. And that when folks get retested, that doesn't count as two cases. It's still just one case if they get a confirmation test to make sure that the, their initial diagnosis was accurate. And that you know if they took a test that was maybe an antibody test at first, and now they get the confirming test that that is. Um, much more definitive. Uh, That doesn't count as two positives. They count people, not the test. So they're very careful about this. And, and, you know, that's part of, you know, I'm right there as the Board of Health seeing this data. And I'm, I'm, you know, telling folks there is a surge. And it's a very real surge in our county. And if we don't get it under control, we're gonna exceed the capacity of our ability to contact trace. And we're gonna start seeing a lot rise in random cases, which is gonna be a flag to the governor and and they could take us backwards. We have to take some personal responsibility. That's all I ask. Well, that's been another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. And hopefully we'll get done with the 2020 end time shows and stop talking about floodplains, fire, and disease and pestilence. But uh, we'll be back next week here, Wednesday, 4 p.m. Pacific, for another edition of the Bose Nose Show. I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening.